conversation about missional rhythms is something that we began this summer. And um, I think the idea of living on mission, a term that's common in uh, Christian circles, it's the idea that we would, we would live our life uh, seeking to, to be attentive to what God's doing in us and around us and, uh, and in everything we do, seeking to, uh, to display uh, the, the character and the love of Christ in our actions and then declare with our lips uh, the good news of the gospel. That's what we're talking about uh, when we talk about living on mission. But I think sometimes in our minds we have this idea that living on mission means that uh, we just kind of always awkwardly insert the gospel into everything that we do. Like at the grocery store, you just got to slide it in. Uh, I would say when you're checking out, you know, you, you would say it to somebody. But really, if you are checking out at the grocery store, most likely you're checking yourself out now. Um, I still can't wrap my mind around how we, we got duped into doing that own work uh, for, our, for ourselves at the grocery store. But um, nonetheless, so that's not a good example anymore. But you, you, you figure out what, whatever setting that it is. I think sometimes we have in our mind that it just means like stopping and saying, hey, let me, let me share something with you. Now, that, that could very well be something that the Lord uh, gives you an opportunity to do. And we want to be sensitive to how the Lord leads us to be ready to, to speak and, and share the hope of the gospel. Uh, but part of what we mean when we say uh, that we want to cultivate missional rhythms is we want to think about the things that we already do in our lives. And we want to think about the places that God already has us. And we want to think about the people that God has already put around us and ask, how can we intentionally seek to, to show and to share Christ, to, to declare and to display um, Christ in what we do? So when we think about what it means to carry out our mission, uh, carrying out our mission will come by developing these rhythms whereby we recognize that God has placed us where he has put us, and he has put us around the people that God has put around us so that we might intentionally make known the gospel. That's what we're, we're talking about. And so these rhythms are the, the tangible things that we, we do in our lives to carry out our mission by embracing where God has put us and who God has put around us with gospel intentionality. The idea that we move towards people and we seek to, to make Christ known in word and deed. And we've defined these missional rhythms in this way using this acronym, this blessed acronym. You, you may, may have heard this uh, kind of very Christian phrase that we've been blessed in Christ to be a blessing. Uh, when we talk about what it means to live on mission, we're, we're really talking about what it means uh, to extend the blessing we've received in Christ towards others. And so B uh, begins with, we've talked about what it means to, to bless others. In the, in the natural uh, rhythms of our life, in our coming and our going, with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and our family, we seek to serve, encourage, give, and think about those that are around us. That, that this heart, this, this desire to, to be a, a people who are servants flows from having a Savior who served us, who came not to be served but to serve. And then uh, something that we do in everyday life, whether we like it or not, is we have conversations with people. Um, and what makes for a good conversation is actually when there's uh, ideally two people in that conversation who really are listening to one another. Um, and listening isn't just waiting to reply while the other person talks, right? Listening is seeking to understand others, understand their story, understand their circumstances, where they're coming from, and then having a concern for what God is doing in their life. And from that, we intentionally listen to other people's questions, their desires, their heart. 
And we said that listening is, is ultimately a matter of the heart, that, that as, we, uh, as we listen to others, we're seeking to hear what's going on inside their, in their hearts, in their lives, so that we can, um, we can ultimately be a part of, of helping uh, God do the work that he wants to do in other people's lives. So this, uh, this rhythm of listening is a part of the, the broader reality of conversations that we have in our everyday life. We want to, we want to listen well to people. And then uh, my favorite missional rhythm, uh, we talked about last week was eating um, uh, and what it means to, uh, to do the, the very thing that we at least probably do uh, 14 times um, a week, if not 21 or more times uh, a week, uh, where we have a meal and sharing that meal with others. And, and, and not only sharing a meal, but ultimately we talked about how this brings up the, the topic of hospitality and how we open our lives up to others. We open our homes up to others. We, we open ourselves up to others to humbly serve and extend the grace that God has given to us freely to others. That's what we're talking about when we talk about eating is this intentionality of practicing a, a hospitality that humbly serves and seeks to extend grace. So we said there are two kinds of people, the kind of person who walks in a room and says, here I am. Uh, and it's kind of driven by uh, an awareness of ourselves and what others think of us. And I know perhaps in some ways that's just kind of natural for us to think that, you know, what other people are thinking of us. But the gospel would compel us to be a kind of people who walk in a room and we say, there you are. I'm so glad you're here. I want to get to know you. Uh, and we're concerned for others seeking, seeking to serve and extend grace. And today we come to, I think, the, the heart of what we're talking about when we say that we want to live on mission, that we want to embrace where God has put us and who God has put around us with gospel intentionality. So if, if we don't do this, if this isn't a central part of what we do, uh, then, then everything we're talking about is how to be good neighbors and good citizens apart from the gospel. Um, there are great people who seek to be a blessing when they can, who are good listeners and who open up their homes and their lives to, uh, to, to care for others apart from the gospel. It isn't, it isn't uh, exclusive to Christians that we can do those things. Um, but the, the heart of living on mission and, and seeking to live with gospel intentionality requires us to be a people who are willing to speak the truth of the gospel in everyday life. Yes, it means knowing the content of the gospel, but it also means caring about relationships, seeking to live uh, in a genuine way before others, and then being courageous and bold enough to speak up about Jesus. And then next week we'll talk about Sabbath and, uh, and what it means to, to rest and how that's a part of, of the rhythm of living on mission. <clears throat> that as we talk about here at TCC, that our, our declaring and our displaying of the gospel flows from, from first and foremost delighting. Uh, in Christ and in the gospel. And so what I intend to do today isn't a, a guilt trip sermon. It's not a technique check about how to share the gospel. It's, it's not even a lesson on what is the gospel. Uh, we probably would all do well with a lesson on the gospel, and sometimes it's helpful to have tools and resources to know how to share the gospel, but none of us need a guilt trip on sharing the gospel. But what we need uh, is to be reminded of what God calls us to as his people and what it looks like for us to embrace this rhythm of speaking the gospel in everyday lives. And, and as I think about what Colossians 4, 2 through 6 is going to tell us, is it tells us that we need lips that aren't afraid to speak about Jesus. 
We need lives that demand a gospel explanation. We, we need a perseverance and prayer, believing that God alone can draw people to himself, that it's not up to our ingenuity and our smooth speaking um, and persuasive speaking. We need a, a renewed commitment to, to keep Christ at the center of our lives, that without Christ, then all that we're doing is just being a noisy gong and clanging about. Uh, we need God's word to, to guide us and his spirit to, to strengthen us so that we're the kind of people who speak the gospel, not just with conviction, but also who speak the gospel with compassion. This is what God's calling us to, and that's what I, I pray God helps us to do today as we look at Colossians 4. <clears throat> we've, we've said that our, our, um, our mission really flows out of our identity, that we're a family of, of missionaries and servants, if you will. You see, in Christ, we belong first to God as Father and then to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not like a family in the body of Christ. We actually are family. If you know Christ and uh, you um, <clears throat> have committed your life to him, you're a part of the body of Christ in, in, the, in the general sense, in the universal church. But what it means to belong to a local church is you actually, you really belong to one another. You know one another. You, you care about one another. You know, belonging to a local church, you, you have this commitment to one another and other Christians have a commitment to you. And, um, and, and so it's, it's where we, we actually belong as family. And in our family, the family business, so to speak, that we got from uh, our elder brother Jesus uh, is, is to do the work of serving others and bearing witness to him. That's what it means, that we're servants and we're missionaries. And, and so, um, you know, if, if, you would say to you, if you would say today, I don't know that I would consider myself a Christian, I, I hope what you hear me share today um, is, is really letting you into the heart of, of what it means to, to be a Christian and belong to God and to be a part of his church. It's the most exciting and glorious thing in the world. Uh, and if you are a believer today and particularly uh, a member here at TCC um, or considering what that means, I, I hope that you, you hear in this uh, what God has put before us and the exciting opportunity we have to be a part of the work that he's doing in the world. This isn't about our strategy and, and our plans. This is about joining God in the work that he's doing in our community, on, on your campus, among your friends, with your coworkers, and even around the world. We want to be about this work. And so Colossians 4, 2 through 6 is really the, the end. We're kind of parachuting in here at the end of the book. Um, but the book as a whole uh, is written by the Apostle Paul to a church that most likely was planted by a guy named Epaphras, which we read about. You can read about him in verse 12. What a description of, of someone. He says of Epaphras that he is one who is a servant of Christ and who always struggles on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Um, and so most likely Epaphras has planted this church and Epaphras is a co-worker with Paul and Paul's writing this young church encouraging them. And, and part of what he does at the beginning of the letter is he reminds them of the mission, uh, the, the bigger mission that they're a part of. It says in, in Colossians 1, um, <clears throat> starting uh, in 3 through 8, he, he gives thanks uh, for them and what God has done uh, in them. And he says this in verse 6. Uh, he says, I give thanks um, because how you responded to the word of truth, the gospel, and in verse 6, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. 
Paul's saying, I'm, I'm writing to you uh, about this gospel that's come to you and is bearing fruit among you. And that same gospel that's bearing fruit among you is bearing fruit in the whole world. And what does that mean to, to bear fruit? It means that it's, it's growing. There are people who are hearing it and who are responding and who are trusting in Christ. And churches are being established. And, and the Colossian church is a part of this bigger work. Uh, you're, uh, you're a part of this bigger work of the gospel right here at Treasuring Christ Church. Every church that's gathered committed to the gospel is a part of this bigger work that God is doing in the whole world in which the gospel goes out and it bears fruit. Sometimes in spite of us and by God's grace, he uses us to do that work. Uh, of bearing fruit um, through the gospel. And that's what Paul writes to them. And he, he's really encouraging them throughout this letter uh, to keep their focus on Jesus uh, and, and to, uh, to really commit themselves to him, to experiencing the new life that they have in him. He, he goes through and he, he talks about the preeminence of Christ and he talks about the, the mystery of the gospel. And uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses 6 and 7, uh, I think this is a good summary of what Paul's really saying to the Colossians. He's saying to them, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord by grace through the gospel, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He's saying, live your whole life for Christ. Live your whole life uh, to experience the new life that's found in him. Just as you received him by grace through the gospel, so walk by grace, uh, rooted and built up and established in the faith. Uh, this, is, this is what he's encouraging them to do. And as we come to chapter 4, it's kind of the conclusion uh, of what he says uh, in his writing to this church. And I think it's this conclusion that, that really uh, is an exhortation uh, to, to this idea of what it means to to embrace this rhythm of speaking the gospel, of, of being a people uh, who speak the gospel. Uh, it's not a how-to per se, but it gives us the, uh, the kind of qualities and the characteristics uh, that we need to, to cultivate uh, for this rhythm to be a part of our lives. Uh, and so uh, I want you to, to look at verse 2, uh, as we've heard the passage read now. Uh, verse 2 tells us um, <clears throat> that to, to cultivate the rhythm of speaking the gospel in everyday life we actually begin not with talking to other people, but talking to God. We pray. We begin with prayer. And I think the beginning part of verse 2 is kind of a general teaching on prayer. But I think this general teaching in verse 2 has verses 3 through 4 within its view. Uh, that, that ultimately he's going to say, pray for the work of the gospel. Uh, pray for the work of the gospel is what he's going to say. But in verse 2, he tells us that we ought to pray with steadfastness. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, devote yourself to prayer. It's not about the intensity of prayer. It's not about like really, you know, closing your eyes and, and praying for a long time. But it's praying over a long period of time. It's persevering in prayer that he's emphasizing here. He's talking about a life marked by a determination to pray. And I think this is important for us because we live in a day where we're so tempted uh, to be distracted by our own resources and our own abilities, our financial resources, our strategic planning, our management techniques. We have unlimited information at our fingertips, in our pockets. Uh, we, we have all that we uh, possibly could need. But... But here we're reminded, as Paul is encouraging the Colossians to remember this mission that they're a part of, this global work of the gospel bearing fruit, 
He says it's not going to come about because of your ingenuity and your creativity and your innate abilities. It's going to come about because God is going to do it. And, and the reason that we must pray is because we are dependent on him to do the work. It requires divine intervention. And, and I, I'll just point, push in on this, this particular point. As, as, as I study this passage, I was just convicted in my own life. And, um, you know, the book of Revelation, uh, as John is speaking to the churches, Jesus speaking to the churches, he talks uh, about the church that's left its first love. And, and just remembering in the early years, this month marks 20 years that I've been a follower of Christ. And I remember coming to know Christ and... And I don't think that there was a prayer time that I didn't ask for people to pray for my dad to come to faith in Christ. I don't think there was a time that I read my Bible where I didn't pray uh, for, for a friend at school to come to faith in Christ. But isn't it, isn't it interesting sometimes as we go along throughout life that we just kind of, we get caught up in whatever it is that's going on. And maybe we're just praying about, you know, kind of the stuff that's right in front of us. Um, that we, we, we lose sight sometimes of a steadfastness in prayer, not only for our needs, but also for, for other people, praying for God to work in their lives. And, and remember, it's not about the intensity. It's not about the emotion of your prayer. He's saying continue steadfastly in prayer. In prayer. Don't give up. Devote yourselves to prayer. The, the work of speaking the gospel begins with praying to God, speaking to others about God, um, is grounded in speaking to God about others. That's what prayer is as we intercede for others. We're talking to God, pleading on behalf of others that God would work in their lives so that then when we have the opportunity, we would be willing to open our mouths and talk to others about God. He says pray steadfastly. With steadfastness, then pray with awareness. Uh, this idea of being alert or awake, uh, that we, uh, we should pray in this way. I, I love in the, in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying with the disciples, I always uh, related to the disciples, especially when you try to spend time with the Lord sometimes in the morning, uh, either before the coffee kicks in or just, you know, when you're tired, like the flesh is willing, but <laughs> the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like here I am falling asleep and I just have, you know, Jesus coming back saying, can you not stay awake, you know, for one hour? And, um, you know, sometimes we, we, we're not stead, we're not uh, aware and alert in our, in our prayer. And I'm not specifically here talking about physical. But, but I think what he's talking about here is this um, being watchful in our prayer. I, you could say it in, in a few different ways, that we would be intentional in our prayers, aware of the needs of others, uh, and aware of our own needs before God, uh, praying expectantly for what God would do uh, in and through us, and then even praying with an urgency in light of Christ's return, that we would have this alertness, this awareness as we pray. I've heard it asked, um, if, if God were to answer every prayer you prayed this past week, what would the outcome be? And that question should reveal to us probably what we're not praying, right? Um, but are we praying with this type of an awareness, so this type of an expectancy um, for what God would do? And then Paul says to pray with thanksgiving. <clears throat> I like to say in some ways, I think... On, on one hand, we give thanks in a general way uh, when we eat meals. And, uh, and I think this idea of, of giving thanks is something that uh, maybe we have our minds wrapped around. But I think there's a part of us also um, that, that sometimes we, we don't 
we don't go deep enough in our giving of thanks. We maybe just give thanks for the surface level things. And um, it's kind of like Thanksgiving decorations in a department store. Like they're kind of out there, but the main thing we're worried about is Christmas, right? Um, <clears throat> like Halloween hasn't come yet, but the Christmas trees uh, are up, you know, and, and that's where we're more interested in the holiday where we get stuff rather than where we give thanks for, uh, for, for what we have, right? Uh, that same way in prayer that we ought, to, we ought to stop and dwell on who God is, what he's done for us. We ought to be able to pray beyond our circumstances, realizing our, our, uh, what we have in Christ and the promises that we have in him. That's what provokes thanksgiving. So he says that we ought to pray in this way, but then he gets to the heart of what we should pray about in verses 3 through 4. <clears throat> and, and I don't want you to miss this. Think about who's writing this book the Apostle Paul, he's like the missionary par excellence, right? Like this, if there ever were a missionary uh, to aspire to be, it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, this guy got stoned and left for dead out of town and dude got back up and went back into that same town to talk about Jesus. Um, I, I mean, if I were him, I would be like, Lord, thank you for allowing me to suffer for the name of Christ. I'm going to go to the next town and see how open they are, right? Like Jesus said, like, dust, you know, dust the dirt off and go to the next town. Paul got back up and went back into town. Like this dude's, he's the missionary of all missionaries. And look what he asked this baby church plant at Colossae to pray for. He says, pray for me. Pray for us, those who are working with me and serving with me, that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ and that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. The missionary of all missionaries is saying, hey, pray that God opens a door and pray that I would know how to say what I need to say. That's an encouragement, I think, to me. Sometimes I feel inadequate or unsure of what to say. Um, it's a reminder that we ought to be asking one another, hey, pray that, that I would know what to say. Pray that I would have an opportunity um, to share the gospel. He's saying uh, pray for opportunities to share the gospel, that, that we would be instruments in God's hands, that he would open a door for the gospel to be made known, <clears throat> and that we would have clarity in sharing the gospel. Uh, this, this idea of knowing the gospel and being able to, uh, to articulate the gospel to others. So this wasn't a one-off thing. You can look at Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Uh, Paul says, hey, also pray for us uh, that, that we would be able uh, to open our mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's saying, hey guys, pray for me that I would have boldness in sharing the gospel. What an encouragement. What a pattern for us to follow. As we think about uh, this, this rhythm of, of speaking the gospel, it begins with us praying and specifically praying for opportunities to share and then for clarity and sharing. And here's the point in all of this is that God advances the gospel through the prayers of his people. God advances the gospel through the prayers of his people. So how's, how's your prayer life? What are you praying for? I can't remember who made this distinction. That's not original to me, but this idea of maintenance prayer and frontline prayer. How much of our prayer is maintenance prayer? Praying for uh, the physical needs of ourselves and others, a job or someone sick, feeling stressed about work or school, thanking God for a meal, uh, the kind of the, the mundane stuff of life. It's important to pray for these things. It, it reminds us that God is present in all the little moments and the big moments. 
But how often the maintenance prayer takes over the frontline prayer, that, that prayer of asking God to open doors for the gospel, asking God to strengthen uh, laborers who are uh, here in our community and around the world seeking to share the gospel. He'd strengthen our church, that he would, he would allow us to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to speak it boldly. That prayer just wouldn't be, uh, this is John Piper who said this, prayer wouldn't just be a domestic intercom, but it would be a wartime walkie-talkie. It wouldn't just be requesting for dinner to be brought up, but it would be asking for backup in the midst of the battle. That, that we would see prayer as vital to the advancing of the gospel. As we gather this week in, in small group, as we go about our week, I think more than talking about all the ways in which we can share the gospel, we, we, ought to, we ought to do this. We ought to ask God to open doors and God to help us to make clear the gospel to others. And so if we're going to speak the gospel in everyday life, we, we have to begin with prayer, Paul says. But we not only need a prayer life, but we actually have to live our lives in order to bear witness to the gospel in word and deed. He goes on in verse, verse 5 and he says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So what I want us to see in the first part here is to keep Christ central. You see, Paul says, walk in wisdom. And this idea of walking in wisdom, uh, we obviously, we have the book uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, our, our kids ministry, Jesus Kids Club, and um, our kind of discipleship tool that we're using in our homes. We're walking through this resource called, um, um, <clears throat> it's about Proverbs. I'm forgetting the name now off the top of my head. Walk in wisdom. Um, <clears throat> wise up. Uh, thank you for the clue. Um, <clears throat> and, and we're talking about Proverbs and what it means to, to walk in, in wisdom, which is really knowing God and obeying his word uh, in, in all of life, right? Um, but Colossians in particular has a unique emphasis when it talks about wisdom because what, what Proverbs talks about, the, the general principles of wisdom, then get embodied in Christ in the New Testament we see. Because in Colossians, when we see this idea of walk, uh, this walking in wisdom, Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul tells the Colossians that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual and wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then in Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3, Paul says that in Christ is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So to walk in wisdom is no less than to, to walk in Christ, who is wisdom to us. It's to, to keep Christ at the center of our lives, to, to listen to him and obey him is to be wise. The fool says there is no God and doesn't listen to what God says. The wise person sees that Jesus is the Son of God, and what he says we must listen to. Just as the Father said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. So we listen to Christ, and to, to walk in wisdom uh, is, is, to, is to keep Christ at the center of our lives. There's a, um, a psychology professor at Cornell University. I was kind of reading about uh, what it looks like, what wisdom, how wisdom is defined just kind of broadly in culture. And this uh, professor says uh, that, that wisdom is balancing your own interest with the interest of others, having positive, positive ethical values, and being concerned with the common good. Now, on the surface, I think that's a, that's a decent, you know, uh, a decent good faith work. You know, if we all did that, <laughs> the world would be a better place, right? But that's, that's not exactly what uh, God's calling us to. He's pointing us to Christ and he's saying, allow Christ to be the center of your lives. And if Christ is the center of your lives, 
You don't just balance your own interests with others. You're willing to put the interest of others before yourself, looking out for their good, not only for your own good, being willing to not just have positive ethical values, but being willing to lay down your life for the sake of others. Because Christ is the center. And, and I think as we talk about speaking the gospel, the encouragement here to us is if you, like me, sometimes uh, struggle um, with, a, with perhaps a fear of how others will respond to you when you share the gospel, I think Paul would tell us to consider Christ. Consider Christ who is forsaken and rejected. If you struggle with the desire sometimes to share the gospel with others, Consider Christ until your heart is stirred up with a love for him and a burden for the lost. If, if maybe you feel inadequate to share the gospel, consider that in Christ is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In short, what we need more than anything else to talk to other people about Jesus is to, to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. Otherwise, what we're doing when we try to talk to others about Jesus is we're, we're, we're talking to, to them about something that isn't really uh, integral to our lives that we, we know and that we love and that we see how it's working. We're just kind of saying, hey, you know, like I, I, here's something that you should consider. I don't, you know, I don't know how much it's really making a difference in my life, but hey, you should consider it and come with me. You know, like it, it, it's a disconnect. If, if we're not keeping Christ central in our lives and we're seeking to talk to others about Jesus, um, that disconnect will be seen. As I say that, though, let me, let me encourage you in two ways. Don't wait until you feel like you have your life figured out uh, to talk to other people about Jesus. Right? I know there's, there's a, a big you know, accusation against Christians that they're a bunch of hypocrites, uh, to which I would say the accusation's right. right? We, we fail to live up to what we confess. What makes a Christian a Christian is not that, they're, uh, not that they don't live up to what they profess sometimes. That, that's true of everyone. What makes a Christian a Christian is that when we fail to live up to what we confess, we repent. We, we acknowledge it. We confess it. And we say, I messed up. I sinned. I fell short. Forgive me. How radical that is in our, in our world, not just to say, um, you know, uh, that I wasn't, I wasn't uh, acting, I wasn't myself. <laughs> no, 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 we were ourselves. And, and we need God's grace and his forgiveness. And thank goodness he's given it to us in Jesus. So don't wait till you get your life figured out. Be, be real and genuine with who you are. And, 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 and don't try to pretend to be something. Realize that we all need grace. We're all, we're all growing in Christ up into who he wants us to be, but that line of growth isn't a straight line from bottom left to upper right. It's often jagged with many hills and, and valleys and many peaks along the way as we grow to be more like Christ. And so we, we can't just wait till we get it all figured out. And at the same time, don't put the burden on yourself that, that if, if everything in your life isn't, isn't squared away, that, that somehow the message won't be believable. Trust God to open your mouth and, and share the gospel and seek to keep Christ central in everything that you do. Some, somebody else <clears throat> may share the gospel better than you. But there is no better gospel. Right? And when we keep Christ at the center, at the center of the gospel is Christ in our place. We stay there God can use us to make him known to others. 
So keep Christ central. And then he goes on, he says, walk in wisdom. And he has this, this, this uh, concern for outsiders. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So we, we ought to have a care for outsiders. Now, I think this is, this is purposeful when he says that we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, that there ought to be a concern and a care for those who are outside of Christ, that we would even move towards them. Now, I, th- I think sometimes this language in the Bible, the idea of being lost or being an outsider, sometimes it sounds like offensive language, like it's exclusive, right? Like you're in and, and you're out. And <clears throat> I, I think of it this way, you know, imagine that uh, a person's blind um, <clears throat> and they don't know where they're going. They need you to tell them whether or not they're on the sidewalk or if they're in the street. And if you don't tell them where they're at in relation to the danger, you're not very helpful. And what God does for us is in his great love for us and in his great mercy for us, he's willing to tell us where we're at in relation to him. And so he says, you're not outside of a group. You're outside of a relationship with me and that there are those who are outside of a relationship with him. And those who are his followers are to to move towards those who are outside of him and to to draw near to them so that they they might come to know him. So I think what we have is, is God caring for us enough to tell us where we're at in relation to him. And he invites us, the, the good news of the gospel is he invites us from being an outsider to becoming not only a friend, but even family in the family of God. And to become a part of his family is to trust in Jesus for new life. And as God's people, we, we have a desire when Christ is at the center of our lives that we live our lives like Christ lived his. Being defined by the people we move towards, not the people we cut off. Jesus came last week. We said he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. But you remember how he came? He came eating and drinking with sinners. He, he came to, to draw near to those who are far from him and invite them into his family. And that's what God's calling us to do, that, that we ought to have this care and this concern for outsiders and this recognition that the way that we live, when we, when we seek to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, what Paul is ultimately saying is how you live is always preparing someone to hear the gospel or it's distorting their ability to hear the gospel. The the way we live our lives, the way we interact with others in some way, shape, or form is always going uh, to either prepare people to hear the gospel or going to to distort their ability to hear the gospel. God, God, hear me say this, God can work in spite of us, and so often he does. But our prayer ought to be, God, work through us. Help me to walk in wisdom towards outsiders that you might use my life to prepare someone else to have ears to hear the gospel. That what they hear me say, they would have seen a life that isn't perfect but bears witness to the grace that's found in Jesus. And he goes on and he says that in verse 5, not only walking in wisdom towards outsiders, but we ought to make the best use of our time. We need to rethink our view of time, perhaps, if we're going to be the people who speak uh, the gospel in everyday life. <clears throat> Making the, the most of every opportunity is how one translator puts it. <clears throat> in other places in the Bible, when it talks about making use of the time, there's an implication that the time is evil. And so we need to redeem the time, not give ourselves to wasting time on those things that are sinful. But here, the, the emphasis is taking advantage of the time that you have 
uh, to accomplish God's work, to, to grow in grace, to bear witness to Christ. There's a, an urgency and an eagerness that's to define our lives as we think about our time. I think the moment that we find ourselves in as we've experienced uh, this past 18 months and kind of gone through this pandemic, some, in some ways we feel like perhaps in pockets of our life we have more time than we used to have. Maybe, maybe you don't commute or have to walk as much. Maybe we're getting back into that now. But, uh, or maybe, maybe you find yourself with less time than you've ever had because everything just gets inundated in your, in your flow of life and it's hard to create boundaries. I wouldn't know that, but that's that's what I think some people have experienced, right? That it's hard sometimes to make time for things and you feel stressed. How do you view your time? I think is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Some of us are stressed about how little time we have. Some of us are bored with how much time we have. Some of us are anxious because the time is going too quickly. <clears throat> God's called us to be faithful where he's put us. And so that means there's going to be some really ordinary, normal things in your life. Doing schoolwork, working, doing the dishes, um, my season of life, bathing the kids, um, paying the bills, visiting family, commuting to work. All these things, mowing the yard, taking care of this, getting your phone screen fixed because you broke it. And even though they say it's not going to break when you drop it, it still breaks. And, you know, cleaning up your flooded basement for the second time in three months. All very ordinary, mundane things in life, right? Um, And and as we look at our time, we, we have to see that those things aren't a waste of time. God's calling us to live faithful in that stuff. And at the same time, to recognize that the way we count time is differently than the world. As I said earlier, living on mission doesn't mean we always drop everything and try to share the gospel every chance we get. It means, it means recognizing that in all the stuff that's in your life, God's calling you to be faithful, to be present, to be aware of, of what he's doing in your life and who he's put around you and, and be open to how God wants you to use you in other people's lives. So we have to push back against kind of this mentality of, of me time and self-care time and weekends are me and my time and work isn't uh, just time to get paid, but it's time to be a part of what God's doing. I'm not just buying time until my kids get out of school or get older. I'm embracing the time that I have now to point them to Christ. It's a, a recognition that time is a gift from God. And He's only given us a limited amount of time. And I don't know how much it is that we've got, how much it is that you've got, how much it is that I've got, but I want to make the most of the time that God has given me for His sake to accomplish His purpose and His will in my life. And that's where real joy is found. It's funny, when we seek to make it about me time, isn't it funny how at the end of me time, we're not exactly any more fulfilled. We ultimately just want more me time. But what God's calling us to is to give ourselves to Him, and then we actually get the satisfaction that we're looking for. And yes, there's wisdom. We're going to talk about how we need rest uh, I'm not saying that this is just an unending, you know, hamster wheel that we just keep going and keep going and keep going. God's designed us to rest physically as well as to rest spiritually in him that fuels us living on mission. So how are you how are you viewing your time? I think particularly relevant right now as we kind of enter back into some things that uh, used to define our commuting, our coming and going to class, to work and getting together with people. It just sometimes it's overwhelming. You're like, how do I get it all done? It's important for us not just to be caught up in the whirlwind, but to take time to think about um, how we're viewing time. And then finally, this sermon is about speaking the gospel. 
Finally, Paul gets to the final point, that we ought to be people who speak up about Jesus. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, verse 5 has a greater emphasis on how we live. Verse 6 has a greater emphasis on how we speak. We're to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity, but we must be prepared to share the gospel. We must be prepared to speak up about Jesus. Paul, Paul anticipates that we would live our lives in such a way that, that it would provoke questions, that we would be the kind of people that we would end up in conversations with others about Jesus. And I think Paul's saying two things. Speak in a way that reflects Jesus. Let your speech be gracious, that the way that we talk and the way that we interact with others would be defined by the very grace that God has given us, that we're gracious in our conversation, uh, in our manner of speaking. 1 Peter 3, 5 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What we say is most important. But how we say it is also vitally important and how often we can unnecessarily offend in the manner that we speak, not just with the content that we speak of. And God calls us as we speak up about Jesus, that we would do it in a way that reflects him. And then secondly, that we would uh, we would speak up in a way uh, that draws people to Jesus, that our speech would be seasoned with salt. Now, some of you. Uh, get salty sometimes when you speak. That's not what this is talking about, right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been salty, uh, perhaps, in a conversation with someone, right? Uh, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying get salty uh, with your, your neighbor or your coworker or your classmate as you try to share the gospel. Uh, the idea of salt, uh, seasoned with salt, is that it, it often is used to, to add, uh, to, to preserve in the ancient world as well as to add flavor. And when in reference to speech, it often means to be winsome or persuasive uh, is, is the idea that, that Paul is getting at. Choosing the, the right word, drawing out uh, the interest of others, provoking a response. Uh, to, to use the analogy perhaps um, uh, in, a, in a way that, that brings it home to us, that we're to uh, seek to speak in such a way that creates a thirst in other people to know Jesus. That, that we're to allow our speech to be seasoned with, the, with, with salt, that our, our hope would be to persu- be persuasive as we talk about the gospel so that we would have an answer for other people. And it's here, here that I, I remember I said today that it isn't just about a gospel lesson. It isn't about a technique check. Uh, more than anything, it's, it's giving us this full-orb view of what it means to be a people who are dependent on God who are seeking to, to keep Christ at the center of our lives. And, and as we do that, that means that we, we think about others differently. We think about our time differently. But we don't waste the opportunity and we don't run from the opportunity to speak up about Jesus. This isn't about a canned presentation. It's about knowing the gospel deeply so that we can share the gospel freely. I think that's, that's important for us as we, we think about what it means to share the gospel. Like before you focus on technique, focus on knowing the gospel deeply, applying it to your heart, remembering how you came to faith in Christ, remembering the truth of the gospel that's true yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that, that it would compel you to make Christ known. I could tell you you ought to share the gospel, but, but, but what I really need to tell you is you ought to consider Jesus long enough until you can't keep silent about him. 
And in my own life, as I thought about that this week, I thought, Lord, I, I, it's so easy for me to, uh, to, to get tripped up sometimes on thinking, what does this person need to hear? How do I share it with this person? All those things are important. And I think we ought to give room to think about how each person needs to hear the gospel and being able to connect it uh, and meeting them where they're at. I think part of what it says when we uh, are ready to speak and give an answer to each person, there's a concern that we would be able to speak to each person where they're at. But first and foremost, what we need above everything else is to know the gospel. Is to know it ourselves and not get over it ourselves. You know that the gospel tells us that we're made by God and for God. And as glorious as that truth is, sin is equally disastrous. That our sin separates us from God and produces all kinds of brokenness in us and in the world around us. But God, God wouldn't leave us in our sin and our brokenness, but he sent his only son to live a perfect life, to die uh, in our place on the cross, fully God, fully man, taking the judgment of sin that we deserved. Christ died for us and he rose from the dead on the third day so that all who would trust in him would receive forgiveness and new life. The gospel tells us that God's the creator of everyone and everything. And that though this world is broken and in need of rescue, God has a plan. Though humanity um, was made to know and worship God, we charted our own way, rejecting God and his word, thinking that we could determine what was right and wrong for ourselves. But God didn't let us keep on in our own way because he, he came and intervened. Though we were separated from God, God has drawn near to us. Though everything in this world ultimately isn't the way that it's supposed to be and is broken by sin, God one day is going to come and make all things new. He's going to make everything that's sad come untrue. All that was broken to be undone and returned to his good design, including us. And then that grand work of rescue and redemption, God accomplished through Jesus dying on the cross and him rising from the dead. The gospel tells us that we're more sinful than we care to admit, but that we're more loved than we could ever imagine. The gospel speaks to us that though we were made for God to sit on the throne of our hearts, we've dethroned him and we've chosen to put ourselves on the throne of our hearts, getting to call the shots. And when God's out of the view, we get to live how we please, live and let live my truth, your truth, whose truth, just love God and do good. That's what we we think to ourselves when we're on the throne of our hearts. But in the end, we don't get a beautiful community. We just get ourselves at the center, our desires, our needs, our expression, our identity, me, mine, and mine. And Jesus says, I was made to sit on the throne of your heart. And he came and conquered sin, Satan, and death so that he might take his rightful seat on our hearts. And we say to ourselves, why would I let Jesus rule my life? Well, Jesus is the one who knows everything about you and yet still loves you. Jesus is the one who had all power, created all things, and yet was willing to lay down his life for us to become weak and to be crucified in our place. He's the one who was sinless but died for our sins, and he's the one who lives to intercede for us. He's the one who's coming back to make all things broken, come undone, to fix not only our lives but this world. The gospel tells the person who's searching for purpose and for meaning and even for God that that God would invite us not just to find some small purpose in our work, but to find a grand purpose in all of life that we belong to him. 
And that not only we belong to him, but we could be brought into his family. Though we were enemies, he died and rose that we would become friends and even better, sons and daughters of God. The gospel tells the one who's mired in guilt and shame that there's a, a forgiveness and freedom for all who would trust in him. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, Romans ten thirteen says, will never be put to shame. In fact, Jesus hung on a cross naked for all to mock and to scorn. And that tells us that there's no sin, no sin in us and in our past that will make him turn away from us and recoil. But instead, when we bring all our sin and all our shame to him, rather than pointing his finger at us, he opens his arms to us and tells us to come. As I told you, somebody else may share uh, uh, the gospel better than you, but there's not a better gospel. Someone who's enslaved and defeated by sin, there's a power that breaks every chain and sets every captive free, the gospel tells us. Because Jesus walked out of the grave on the third day, there's no grave that we could dig for ourselves that he can't pull us out of. This is what the gospel says to us, to the one who's suffering and wondering where God is at in all of our pain. We have a Savior who conquered through suffering. He entered into the dark night of our suffering that we might come into the light of new life in Him. This is what the gospel says to us, that it's not, it's not that His suffering is merely inspirational or an example, but it's by His suffering that we are saved. Isaiah would say to us that it's by His wounds that we are healed. This is, this is the gospel, and if you don't know what else to say, just tell somebody that Jesus loves them and died for them and wants to know them. This is the message of the gospel that God's called us to, to be ready to speak graciously and persuasively to everyone who would ask and to, to everyone that he would allow us the opportunity. This is the gospel that he's entrusted to us. And as we know this gospel deeply, I believe God will prepare us and equip us and strengthen us to share it freely. This is what God calls us to. And to, to bring it all together as our, our band comes, I think to, to be concrete as we think about how to speak the gospel in the everyday rhythms of life. I think what Paul is actually anticipating as he writes this and as he gives these final encouragements and exhortation is he reminds us that in order to have hard conversations with people, this, uh, I mentioned Rosaria Butterfield last week who wrote the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, she, she came to know Christ out of a, a lesbian background. She was a literature professor at Syracuse and was writing a, uh, an article on basically disproving the Bible and, uh, and why Christians use the Bible to, to make it uh, say what, what they want it to say. And she starts meeting with this pastor, and this pastor has her in her home, and he and his wife get to know her. And uh, she comes over, and they actually don't share the gospel the first few times that she comes over. They just open their lives up, and they talk to her, and they care about her. And, and what she realized is that knowing, knowing how to have hard conversations with people requires that we build relationships with people. Uh, knowing uh, and being able to talk to people about hard things means that we, we actually have, have enough of a relationship with them that, that we can venture into those topics. And so beyond knowing the gospel itself, here's, here's what I want to encourage us to cultivate uh, in our lives as we seek to, to, to develop this rhythm of speaking the gospel. One, develop relationships. Get close enough to people that they have an opportunity to know you and you have an opportunity to know them. Be genuine. Live distinctly for Christ that people might be provoked to ask. 
If we just think that we can be cool enough and and like everyone else, that that's going to be how we get in to share the gospel, God's word reminds us continually that Christians are an odd bunch that don't ever fit in. We're exiles. We're strangers. We're on our way to home, but where we find ourselves, we don't quite fit in because we belong to someone else. And then courage, that we would speak up courageously about the hope and the grace that's found in Jesus. Relationship, genuineness, courage. And a pressing into the depths of the gospel so that we would be able to share it freely. This is what God's inviting us to. To to live on mission means we embrace where God's put us and who God's put around us with gospel intentionality. Let's pray.